Hello, everybody. It is Michael here, back with another episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. As always, I appreciate everyone who's tuning into the show. I appreciate everyone who's been dropping by the live streams. We got a lot to talk about in this episode. I want to talk about the Boston Celtics, the Sacramento Kings, Miami Heat, Philadelphia 76ers, and Houston Rockets, as well as the All-Star Reserves. So yeah, let's just get right into it. First team that I want to talk about is the Miami Heat, who have definitely been heating up a lot recently and are looking much, much better after a slow start to the season. They were a team that was dealing with a lot of COVID issues, a lot of injuries as well. But now that they have a mostly healthy roster, they're looking back to what we all expected them to be. They're the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference, which obviously isn't saying much due to the fact that they're still under 500. But They have won five in a row and just look much, much better. Jimmy Butler has been playing excellent basketball recently. Definitely a guy who it's unfortunate that he missed out on the All-Star game because he was just uh, injured and then he was coming back and he wasn't really looking like himself. But now he's back to fully looking like himself. He was incredible in that Utah Jazz game. Closed it out completely. And while the man cannot shoot a three to save his life, he is just dominating in every other area he's basically unstoppable going downhill getting to the basket it's why he gets to the line so many times and that's something he's truly mastered is the ability to get to the free throw line getting there 8.3 times a game this year and he's a guy who i just love so much because you can always trust him down the stretch he closed out that jazz game hit some big shots made some big plays at the end of that and he's just a guy you you can always rely on having the ball in his hands in the most important moments of the game. And then we all know just how well-rounded of a player he is. Like this season, he's averaging basically 28-8 and eight with two steals as well. That just shows the all-around player that Jimmy Butler is. And honestly, I think his playmaking gets underrated by quite a lot of people. Like Jimmy Butler is a very very good playmaker and these past couple years now that he's had more of an opportunity to show it off he is just really really succeeding in that role a lot of the time he's the point guard of that roster and he's the guy who's running the offense and he's working really really well he's having a great season so far and i definitely expect him to continue to turn things up And especially with the heat starting to roll now, he's been a big part of that. And he's going to be a big part if they're going to have any playoff success, which I definitely think they can. I think a lot of people overreacted way too early on this heat roster. And now that they're healthy, they're back to looking like uh, themselves. And it all starts with their best player playing great basketball like Jimmy Butler has this year. Bam Adebayo, another all-star caliber player on this roster, has been a phenomenal phenomenal for this Miami Heat team this year. I've been incredibly impressed by just the progression of Bam Adebayo as a player. We all know the things he does that is very, very unique, which is his ability to guard on the perimeter as a big man, a guy who is just so versatile on the defensive side of the ball, can switch all around the court. He's not a guy who's ever going to be uh, like picked on and, and people are going to want to switch. And a lot of times when the teams run pick and roll against a team like the Heat, it doesn't really affect them that much because you got a guy like Bam. So if they can't get over the screen, then you have one of the best perimeter defending bigs in the league. We all know his ability to play make one of the better big man playmakers in the league. And I just love the fact that he can really bring the ball up the floor 
and he's a guy who can just set up this offense. So it gives them another and a different look that they just uh, really didn't have before the emergence of Bam. Uh, but the thing that has imp impressed me the most this year is just his improvement as a shooter. He has really, really improved a ton as a shooter this year, and it's been great to see. He's always a guy who's been uh, raved about within Miami as a guy who can shoot the ball, and he showed potential at times, but it's really just being fully fledged uh this year the three-point shooting is still not something that's a big part of his game he's only taken point two threes a year uh point two threes a game this year but his free throw shooting has improved tremendously he only shot 69 percent from the line he is shooting almost 85 percent from the line so he's a guy you can rely on in late games to get the ball and he's you can rely on him to nail those late free throws uh, and that's really improved his overall efficiency. Like, he's got a true shooting percentage of 63.6 this year. Uh, but the thing that impresses me more than anything with the shooting is those mid-ranges. The mid-ranges have been incredible this year. He's a guy who you can rely on to create his own shot, which is super unique at the role that Bam plays. He can create his own shot. He can uh, go off the pick and roll. And a lot of times he'll do these short dives and then he gets a nice just open mid-range and he's nailing them. He's really just expanding his game every single year and improving so, so much, which you just love to see. Is definitely a guy who uh, deserved to be an all-star contention. If And if they were heating up earlier, uh, I definitely think he would have made it. You got Goran Dragic back, which is a huge piece for them. And a, a piece that just a lot of people weren't talking about when they were bringing up Miami's struggles. Like, Goran Dragic is a huge player to this team. He's averaging an, a very efficient uh, 15, 3, and 5, shooting 37.5% from 3. And he's just a super reliable guy. And I really like uh, that him and Kendrick Nunn can just kind of play off each other this year. Like, Kendrick Nunn has been very, very solid for the Heat this year. Uh, but you're going to want a sturdy and reliable veteran like a Goran Dragic in at the end of the game. So, you know, you can have that young player in Kendrick Nunn play well for uh, most of the game. And then at the end of the game, you have the reliable vet in Goran Dragic to close it out for you. And I'm sure when it comes playoff time, Goran Dragic will be taking over those minutes. Uh, but those two guys have both been playing well this year. And now that Dragic is back, that's a huge piece for them. He was amazing in the game last night. 26 points against a great Utah Jazz team. And that was such a big win just overall for them. Tyler Hero, as much hate as he does get, just because a lot of people did overrate him, he's a good basketball player at the end of the day. He has struggled with his three-point shooting this year. He's shooting under 35%, which is kind of surprising. Isn't as good of a free-throw shooter as he was last year as well. But overall, his ability to create for himself and others has definitely improved quite a lot. He's had a good season so far, averaging about 17-4. and four. Uh, And I just really like a lot of the... Uh, role players on this team. I, I like an Andre Iguodala for what he brings to the locker room and just the high basketball IQ that he does have. Uh, while the role players aren't as good as last year, they're still just solid. Like I like a Maurice Harkless type of guy, even though he hasn't really played much this year. Uh, I do like someone like him to be on this roster, and especially once they get fully healthy, once they get a Tyler Hero back, once they get... Uh, uh, what Avery, Avery Radley back, that'll be huge for them. 
Uh, Duncan Robinson is always going to bring that spacing that they need. And while I feel like at certain points teams have somewhat figured him out this year, uh, he has been uh, playing better recently. He had a, a stretch of just uh, some rough games, but he's back to shooting basically 40% from three on eight and a half attempts. And he's just one of those guys who, like all the best shooters, while the, while they not uh, while they won't always put up like the biggest numbers or anything, their impact on the game will always be there just due to the fact that they create so much space for others with uh, the threat of them just shooting from basically anywhere on the floor. Uh, and then you obviously have to give credit to one of the best coaches in the league, Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra is a guy who I think goes underrated by quite a lot of people, and that's even with most people recognizing him. Uh, and giving him the recognition as one of the best coaches in the league. Even then, I feel like people don't understand how just incredible of a coach Eric Spolster is. And now that he actually has his full arsenal of weapons, he's making this team look very, very good. I think they're a team that I wouldn't want to personally play in the playoffs because at the end of the day, you got Jimmy Butler, an elite closer in this league. You got Bam Adebayo, who's growing every single year. You got a nice uh, arsenal of role players like Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, Goran Dragic, uh, Tyler Hero. You got all those guys, and any of them could have a big game uh, any moment, honestly. And then you got one of the best head coaches in the league, Eric Spolstra. They're starting to shoot the ball better, starting to be more locked in on defense, and are looking very, very good recently. The Miami Heat are back. Next team I want to talk about is the Sacramento Kings, who to me are just by far, uh, in a way, one of, if not the most confusing teams in the NBA. Definitely up there with a team like the Pelicans as far as I just don't know how to gauge this team at all. They've had such a weird season so far. They've had really, really good streaks where they were looking like a very good team. At the beginning of the year, they had a nice stretch to start the year. They were looking great, and I was super impressed by them. Then they had a stretch where they looked really, really bad, and then they started to streak again. De'Aaron Fox was making an all-star campaign. Tyrese Halliburton was continuing to play great basketball, and now in their last 10 games, they are 1-9, and nine, barely squeaking out a win over the Detroit Pistons. And this roster is just so, so confusing to me. De'Aaron Fox is definitely the leader of this team, and he's been phenomenal this year. He is not at all to blame for their struggles. He's a guy who I definitely think is an all-star caliber player, and I'm surprised more people aren't mentioning him in snubs, averaging 23-7, and seven, uh, shooting the ball much better, and just much more confident uh, than previous years. Even when he shot 37%, it was on uh, less... <coughs> It was on less attempts, and he just didn't look as confident. Like, these are in rhythm, step back, off the dribble threes that he's just taking, uh, and he's just making them at a much better rate, especially in the last year. Like, he really struggled from outside last year. Uh, but now that that's starting to work, he has been great this year. Uh, and obviously, like, Tyrese Halliburton has been awesome. He's a guy who is one of the best role players in the league already, even though he's just a rookie. He's a guy who just does everything out there for the Kings. He is an incredibly smart player, one of the smartest players we've seen come into the league in a long, long while. A guy who is all over the place on defense. Rotations are incredible. 
and he's a great player on offense as well because he just picks his spots super well. He's a super high Q passer, is always setting up his teammates in the best position possible. I love what he brings to the team. Uh, but when you look outside of that, there's just a lot of pieces on this roster who, while they may be good players individually, they just don't have like the best fit on this roster. I love Rashawn Holmes as a player. I think Rashawn Holmes is criminally underrated and is one of the better role-playing centers in the league. But the thing is about Rashawn Holmes for me, and I'll always keep this opinion until I see differently, I don't think he can be a starting center on a team that wants to be really good. I think he can be an elite backup, one of the best or the best backup center in the league. But I just don't think, due to his lack of size and the fact that he can be dominated on the interior by bigger players, that he can be a guy who is the starting center for a team that's very good. That's just my personal opinion. It's nothing against him. Again, I really like Rashawn Holmes. I think he's been phenomenal for them this year. But I just don't think... He's a guy who you can have as your starting center when you're facing a Nikola Jokic, who we saw drop 50 on them earlier in the year. When you're facing all these great bigs that the NBA has to offer, I just don't think a guy like Rashawn is a true stopper for them. I think he's more in like an improved Montrezl Harrell type of role. I think would be the best role for a guy like Rashawn Holmes. Marvin Bagley, while he's had some good games recently for sure, he had a very good game against uh, Detroit, he had a good game against the Knicks, a uh, good game against Chicago, and he's been playing better as, as of late for sure. He's still a guy who is just underwhelming for how good you would hope he could be. And his defensive worries are still absolutely there. I don't know if it's an effort thing. I don't know if it's an IQ thing. I don't know if it's a mix of both. But he just can't really seem to put it together on the defensive side of the ball. And the thing for me is it just seems like he's not improving. Like other than as a shooter, which he's shooting better from three. Uh, but he's shooting 55% from the free throw line this year, which is atrocious. He just seems like he's already stagnant which is terrifying considering this dude is 21, uh, about to turn 22 years old, and he already seems like he's kind of plateaued as a player. Now, obviously, he could still improve, and he still has plenty of room to uh, grow. I'm not saying he's going to plateau as a player for the rest of his career, but that's just worrying, especially when you take him over a guy like a Luka Doncic. And I'll always say this, and I'll continue to say this about the Kings. Obviously, it's a mistake you took him over Luka. I don't care about the fit with De'Aaron Fox. It's Luka Doncic at the end of the day. But my thing is, even if they were set on drafting a forward, specifically a power forward, which would, would have been dumb in the first place because, again, it's Luka Doncic. But even if they were 100% set on saying, we are getting a forward, there's Jaron Jackson Jr. on the board, and you took the worst power forward, uh, that pick just... It just doesn't look too great, and even in his bright moments, I'm still like, there's so much more he has to offer that he just hasn't brought yet, and he's one of those players that it's hard for me to just continue to try and believe in when he just hasn't really shown much growth as a player, and then you got like a Buddy Heald who is a decent basketball player, but is being overpaid pretty grossly. And he just doesn't really bring much outside of his three-point shooting ability, which is obviously still valuable. Like, he's one of the better high-volume shooters in the league. He's only shooting 36% this year, but it is, it is on 10.1 attempts per game. But when you don't really bring anything 
outside of shooting, it's like how valuable can you be to a team when you're shooting 36.9% from the field, when you're bringing nothing on the defensive side of the ball? Like, Buddy Heald is a terrible defender. When you're not really a playmaker by any means, three uh, three assists to 1.8 turnovers is nothing special. Like, how valuable can a guy like Buddy Heald really even be? And Obviously, the contract wasn't like terrible at the time, and it seemed fine. But I think Buddy Heald, like after that contract, after he got that, kind of got exposed for the player that he is, which is a good player, but only has a certain like ceiling to him. And then Harrison Barnes is a good player. He's been very, very solid for them this year. I won't criticize his game or what he brings to the team at all. Love what Harrison Barnes brings to this roster, and he's someone. I think if they're trying to compete, uh, they should definitely keep on the roster. Uh, but I also do think you could get quite a lot of value out of a guy like Harrison Barnes. And then we look at the depth of this team. This is honestly the thing that hurts them more than anything probably, except for one thing that I'll talk about at the end. It's just the depth of this team, especially when a guy like Tyrese Halliburton wasn't playing that uh, last night. In that game against the Pistons, if we see guys who got significant minutes off the bench, Daquan Jeffries, Corey Joseph, Kyle Guy, Nemanja Bielitsa, who's been kind of bad this year. Like, the depth on this team is nothing. It, it's not really that good at all. And that's definitely an issue with this team is outside of that starting five. And then obviously Tyrese Halliburton when he's healthy. That team just doesn't really have anything outside of those main guys. So you need all of them to play well. And literally, basically everyone in that starting lineup had a pretty good game last night, except for Buddy Heald. And they were barely able to squeak out a win over the Pistons, who suck. The Pistons are terrible, and they barely squeaked out a win over them. But I think the biggest issue more than anything, more with all those personnel issues, more with the depth, is Luke Walton as a head coach. Luke Walton is bad at his job. It's simple as that. I think everybody knows that at this point. And I think everybody is surprised that Luke Walton still has a job as a head coach. I think we saw it with the Lakers and we've continued to see it with the Kings that he is a bad head coach. It amazes me that he even came into this year as the Kings head coach. And I think just the more and more they hold on to him is the more and more they're holding their team back. And it's just frustrating to see because you know there are better guys out there than Luke Walton. It's a very similar issue for me with the Bucks as well, where uh, front office stubbornness is allowing themselves to hold their team back because they're not firing a head coach who is so very clearly hurting that roster and hurting how good they can be. They have to get Luke Walton after out of there and they have to make some personnel changes because this team just isn't looking good they're the 13th seed in the western conference they've been super up and down this year it's really hard to gauge but uh, it seems like it recently it's been nothing but down they've looked pretty awful uh, i mean it was obviously good that they were able to get a win but the kings are very very confusing and have not looked good uh, at all recently and have been super weird this season Next team I want to talk about is the Houston Rockets, who are struggling quite a lot. They are 0-10 in their last game, in their last 10 games. It is not looking good at all for them. Uh, and 
it just starts off with injuries, obviously. Like, the injuries don't help. The fact that Oladipo has missed some games, even though you knew when you were trading for Oladipo. That's just what's going to come with it. He's a guy who's dealt with injury issues a lot recently. So it still confuses me why they made that move in the first place. Uh, And then, obviously, Christian Wood being out is such a massive deal because he's the best player on that roster. And it obviously hurts quite a lot when you're missing uh, your best player. But there are some just clear, clear issues with this team that are uh, holding them back and that are the reason they are failing quite a lot. They continue to lack the size that they need without Christian Wood. P.J. Tucker's back to playing center, which I thought we were done with that. I thought that was going to be completely out of the equation this year, but it's happening yet again. Victor Oladipo is a guy who puts up decent numbers, but he continues to deal with injuries. His efficiency continues to not be very good, and he's just not the player that I think me and a lot of other people thought he was going to be. I thought Houston could have been an opportunity for him to turn things around and and have a new chapter of his career, gone from Indiana, gone from that weird situation with his contract and everything. But he hasn't been good for the Houston Rockets, simply as that. He's a guy who's averaged 19 points, but it's on piss-poor efficiency. 39% from the field, under 30% from three. Uh, His true shooting this year is barely above 50%, which is not good. And he just doesn't look like a player who is very impactful to winning basketball at the end of the day. At this point in his career, it looks like he's only caring about putting up his own personal numbers. And he's fine with that at the end of the day. He's just trying to play for a next contract. But I think other teams are going to see how lackluster he's been. And it'll always confuse me why they chose to get a Victor Oladipo when they could have just got Karis LeVert. And it'll always confuse me why they passed up on Jared Allen. I know they want Christian Wood to be their center of the future, but he can play the four as well. And Jared Allen, you just basically giving him to Cleveland for free is ridiculous ridiculous to me that James Harden trade is looking like more and more of a mistake by uh by day and obviously you got a ton of picks but I the thing that annoys me is that in almost any trade you were you were going to get a lot of picks or you were going to get an, an incredible young asset so you getting a guy like Victor Aldipo who is an expiring contract and you're looking to move again and you're not going to get much value for Victor Aldipo it just is a very very bad look at the end of the day because you're you're a team that's not going to be good like you looked good after the James Harden trade you had a good little streak but I think we all knew that was probably going to slow down I didn't think they were ever going to get this bad and obviously again injuries are a big part of that uh but they just again have not looked good and they made a mistake with that trade they traded for the wrong guys and they traded for guys who just don't fit the timeline of that team that's the thing that's confusing to me other than the picks what asset did you get from the James Harden trade? Like, you didn't get the two main assets that everyone was talking about from Brooklyn. We were all talking about how it was going to be not even the best trade, and we were just assuming you were getting Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, and you got neither of them? Like, what are you doing? It just 
it blows my mind how they tried to like stay a competitive team when we all know that's not the route they should be going in. They're a team that simply doesn't have the talent as other as many other teams. And that's not necessarily a problem. But the thing is for me is you have to be aware of that and you have to be owning of that. Like you can't just try and hold on to a little bit of success because I mean like John Wall and Victor Oladipo, they're they're good and decent basketball players like John Wall's had a very solid season so far but he doesn't fit the timeline of this Rockets team at all and with John Wall like what are you really doing with him he's just going to be a guy who's on that huge contract and he's just kind of going through the motions playing and maybe he could get traded again maybe he's just going to stay there it's like who really knows Eric Gordon's had a good season so far, but even him, he's super inconsistent and up and down. Uh, And then you just have a lot of players on this roster who are good and solid role players, but you simply just don't have the talent to compete with a lot of these other teams. And again, you're making P.J. Tucker be a starting center yet again, which I thought we were over that. Why do you refuse to get any size on this roster? You could have got Jared Allen. But you gave him to Cleveland for free. It just blows my mind how the Houston Rockets saw that James Harden trade and thought it was a good idea. And I didn't even love it in the first place, but it just looks worse and worse in retrospect. And at this point, you kind of have to embrace the tank. You you probably have to move on from a guy like Victor Aldipo at the trade deadline because, like, why is why would Victor Aldipo resign with them, and why would they resign Victor Aldipo? That relationship is already seeming to be like a huge mistake. And he's been there for, what, a couple months? Like, I don't know what they're doing at all. And it just confuses me so much. It's not been all negative by any means. Like, uh, Deshaun Tate has been great for them as a rookie. He's definitely been a massive steal out of undrafted free agency. But other than him and, like, a couple other guys you're taking flyers on, like uh, a Mason Jones, like a Kenyon Martin Jr., what young talent do you really have on this roster? You don't really have any of it. Like, obviously, Kevin Porter Jr. is going to be super nice whenever he's up there, and he's looks phenomenal in the G League. That's definitely a big positive. But at the end of the day, when Kevin Porter Jr. is the young piece that is, like, the by far the brightest thing on your team, that's not a good look at all. And obviously, again, you have picks in the future, you can tank and uh, get some pretty high picks of your own, even though you do have picks going to OKC at some point, which also that's not looking good either because I just don't really know where this roster goes from here because you're you're hampered by that John Wall contract. The Eric Gordon contract really hurts your potential of getting any free agents. It looks like Victor Aldipo is already out of the door and he's barely even been there. P.J. Tucker is a guy who... I'm honestly surprised he hasn't like came out and requested a trade or anything because he's just seemed like he's been frustrated with that team, especially now that he's playing center yet again. They've just looked awful recently. And I do think there are bright spots. Like I like a lot of these uh, younger players that they took flyers on, and I think they have potential. But at the end of the day, they're flyers, and they're that for a reason because they're not players that are solidified yet. The thing about this Rockets team is they have nothing that is solidified. As much as you love all those picks, you don't know what those picks are going to turn into because at the end of the day, you have to hope that the Nets aren't uh, too good of teams in the future. 
And you have to hope the fact that you make smart picks and you develop those players, which that is going to be a thing that only time will tell, which is the thing that is frustrating, is that they're just kind of hoping at this point. They they don't have a solidified direction and a solidified like thing of the future other than a Christian Wood. Like You still have to see if Kevin Porter Jr. could st- even stay on the court with all those off-the-court issues. You have to see if those picks could turn into anything. Uh, you have to see if Steven Silas is really your guy going forward, if a Mason Jones and if a Kenny Martin Jr. can develop, if you could trade your vets for anything. There's just so many question marks with the Rockets right now, and they simply look like a terrible basketball team. Uh, I mean, at least they'll get a high pick and a good draft. But other than that, it's been a rough season uh, for the Houston Rockets. And especially as of late, they are looking real, real bad. They have the third worst record in the NBA. And at this point, until Christian Woods gets healthy, I don't think that's turning around at all. The Houston Rockets are struggling. I'm going to take a break and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back to talk about my Boston Celtics, who got a big win over the Indiana Pacers yesterday, but overall have been a huge disappointment this year. They are currently the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference and have an under 500 record. It just has not looked good at all this season for the Boston Celtics. And the thing that has stood out to me the most is that this team just can't seem to put it all together. And it comes from the fact that our three best players cannot have a good game at the same time. Kemba Walker was incredible last night, and I do feel like he does get too much criticism. He has had some pretty bad games. Like, he was really, really bad in that Pelicans game. was a huge reason we blew that lead. He's had far from a perfect season, but he has had some good performances recently. And at the end of the day, we do need to give him credit when he's playing good basketball. And he's had some good performances this year. This was definitely by far his best one. But he was very good uh, against Atlanta. He was huge in pulling the Celtics back against the uh, the Dallas Mavericks. He hit some really big shots in that game. And I do feel like he is hopefully starting to turn a corner. But the thing is about him, it's just about consistency at the end of the day. It's about him having uh, multiple good games in a row. And that's going to be uh, what really shows if Kemba is turning a corner this season is if he can just get a consistent stretch of games. Tatum has obviously been great this year, uh, but for a player of Tatum's caliber, he does far too often have games where he just does not look very good at all. Like he had uh, the game against Indiana last night, 4 of 18, 9 points, 4 of 28 against Atlanta, 13 points. I will give him a slight pass due to him coming off uh, due to him coming off COVID and uh, him saying it has caused him to struggle with his breathing and stuff. Uh, but like I said, it just is another reason why this team can't put it together because as good of a player as Jason Tatum is, I believe Jason Tatum is phenomenal, one of the 12 to 15 best players in the league. He is a guy who I would just love to see be more consistent for a uh, player the caliber of Jason Tatum. He just has some of these nights where he is missing routine shots, and it was very uh, 
it was a lot like that in the Pacers game. These are shots that are normal for Jason Tatum. They're uh, easy rhythm shots for him, and he was just missing them. And he's, it seems like at least he's just been missing a lot of those, even in the Pelicans game, and he was very good in that one. I don't want to criticize him too much. But he was missing a lot of those like one-legged fadeaways, which is a classic uh, Jason Tatum shot. Uh, and he just needs to become a more consistent player if he really wants to rise to being top 10 and a superstar I think that's the last step for Jason Tatum because the scoring has been there since his rookie year the playmaking is improving every single year the defense is improving every single year and he's a very very good defender he rebounds the ball well the last step is just being consistently phenomenal for Jason Tatum to truly rise to that superstar caliber that we know he can be Jalen Brown has been great this year as well Uh, he has had some off games here and there but for the most part he has stayed pretty consistent uh but it's again just a case where we can't put it all together a game where Kemba Walker and Tatum both plays very well uh then Jalen Brown is basically guaranteed to have a bad game at least that's what it seems like so far this year and it's just really frustrating to see because we know the talent of those guys and it's not too much to ask for them to try and put it together all at once and I think that's so that would just make it so much easier and would uh, re- have us rely a lot less on our role players who are so inconsistent if those guys could just all put it together at the same time. Uh, but hopefully Kemba is starting to turn a corner because I do believe in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, but the thing for me, the most that stands out is just the depth of this team. We do have nice pieces that I've Uh, like quite a lot Robert Williams needs to continue to get more minutes Robert Williams has been incredible this season in very limited action and only 15.6 minutes a game you could just see the growth of Robert Williams the dude has blocked more shots than he's missed Uh, he's definitely just making an impact all over the floor getting steals Uh, his playmaking is something that isn't like he only averages 0.9 assists a game and 0.9 turnovers but he has a lot of just nice passes and I do really really like to see just the maturity of Robert Williams you can tell he's growing a lot and a lot of those mistakes that caused him to not play uh, early on in his career are starting to go away like him biting for pump fakes and him uh, getting in foul trouble he's far from a perfect player but those issues are getting much uh, better year by year, and that's just really nice to see because I think he's uh, the long-term option at the center position for the Celtics, and I do really just want to see him continue to get minutes, continue to play over a guy like a Tristan Thompson, and I think that'd be a very, very good sign for us because he also just fits the style that the Celtics should be going for with these young athletic guys like a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown. He runs the floor super well, and he's just doing all the little things out there, and I just really, really like to see the growth of Robert Williams. Hopefully, he can continue to play as well as he has been because it's been incredible to see his growth and I just want to see him continue to get more minutes uh, as the year goes on. Payne Pritchard has been great this entire year for us. Uh, His numbers aren't anything like crazy impressive but he's just a super efficient smart player and a guy that it's so impressive uh, being a rookie that I can rely on Payne Pritchard Uh, And that's the thing about him being an older player. And this is what is good about being an older player coming into the draft is that you have uh, a guy that probably doesn't have as high of a ceiling as a lot of the younger guys in the draft, but 
should just be more reliable because Payne Pritchard is, is experienced. He already knows his game. He knows himself perfectly, and he just plays his role phenomenally on this roster. But outside of those guys, when we're talking about depth, it starts to get very, very shaky. You got a guy like Jeff Teague who had a very good game uh, last night in one of his better games this season, but he has been ass for the most part. He's been pretty, pretty bad. I mean, he's shooting 34% from the field. The, the man misses more layups than I've ever seen. He misses so many high off the glass, and it just hits the rim, goes out like he... He isn't a reliable player, terrible defender as well, and I don't want to see him getting minutes in a big uh, like playoff series or even a big regular season game. Aaron Nesmith has gotten a lot better, and I do like to see the growth of him quite a lot. He has been much, much better than he was at the beginning of the year. Shaw is coming around, uh, but honestly, the thing that has stood out to me the most is just him doing all the little things. It's been amazing to see just him hustling, getting rebounds, uh, trying to take charges. Like he's doing all that stuff, and he's really stepped into like the Marcus Smart role, which has been phenomenal to see. But I still don't necessarily trust him yet. Uh, again, I like I love to see the growth, but I'm not ready to say like Aaron Nesmith should be a huge part of our rotation yet. And then you got like a Javante Green who can't really shoot. Uh, Grant Williams, as much as he has good moments, he also makes so many mistakes on such a regular basis. He can't shoot free throws. Uh, the second he does a good thing, you can guarantee he's going to make a mistake the next play. Like The second he gets a good block, uh, he's going to throw a turnover. Uh, I can't rely on him. Semi Ojale has been better for us this year, but he's not a guy that's super reliable either. His percentage is a little bit deceiving because teams are still leaving him pretty open and uh he's not a guy who i want to see playing that much again in a big playoff series so the thing that i want the trade exception to be used most on is just getting wing depth on this roster i've said it all year we need wing depth very very badly that's why we've been forced to play the two big lineup and it works sometimes but it's not going to work for the most part in this era of athleticism and versatility we just need more wings on this roster uh simply enough who just bring consistency because even though i like a lot of the moments that uh some of our wings bring now they're not consistent enough and that's just the issue with this roster as a whole is it lacks consistency i think marcus smart being gone uh, has definitely been a huge piece in the celtic struggles it it's been really, really rough to see this team at times without Smart because you can tell they're missing their on-court leader. At the end of the day, I love Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but they're not leaders yet. They're just guys who aren't super vocal and guys who aren't super like out there. And even though Marcus Smart can be a guy who rubs people the wrong way at times, he's always going to be a guy who gets his point across and is a leader at the end of the day. I just think we're missing that quite a lot because this team has a lot of laid-back personalities. Brad Stevens is a super laid-back dude, and I feel like he deserves his criticism uh, for that as well. I think that's a big issue with Brad Stevens and probably my biggest issue other than his rotations being poor at sometimes is just how laid back of a dude he is and like obviously that's just him and you have to understand that but it's hard to be a laid back coach in the NBA when you're supposed to be leading grown men 
And at the end of the day, the Celtics just really, really need to make moves. I want to see Danny Ainge make some moves. I can't wait to see Marcus Smart back on the floor. I need to see Brad Stevens' rotations be better. And at the end of the day, some of these players need to play better basketball or the Celtics are going to continue to struggle and be super underwhelming like they have been this year. Hopefully things can start to turn around, but it's been bad for the Celtics this year. And as a Celtics fan, it's been really, really rough to watch. Next, I want to talk about the Philadelphia 76ers, who I continue to be incredibly impressed by this year. And they definitely had a very, very good win over Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I think this team definitely can come out of the Eastern Conference. Right now, I would give it to the Brooklyn Nets because the Brooklyn Nets are just rolling even without Kevin Durant. I think the offensive ceiling for them is so high. But I do want to make the case why I think the Philadelphia 76ers can come out of the Eastern Conference. And first, it starts off with the defensive side of the ball. This team defensively is an absolute nightmare to face. The way Ben Simmons played Luka Doncic was the best I've probably ever seen anybody individually play Luka Doncic. His defense on Luka, one of the most unstoppable and one of the best players in the NBA, was a true, true sight to see. Ben Simmons was playing about as good as defense as you could hope from anyone guarding a player of the caliber of Luka. And it just comes from the fact that Ben Simmons has always had the physical tools, but now he he's older and his uh, body has improved like he's getting stronger every single year but it's just the effort has gone up every single year and I think now that uh, he can rely on Embiid to be so dominant like he's been this year he's just focusing almost all his energy on the defensive side of the ball and that has led to incredible results Ben Simmons is routinely clamping up other teams players but it doesn't even just go with Ben Simmons uh, with the Luka Doncic matchup. Their just defensive scheme as a whole to stop Luka was phenomenal. Like you put one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, a defensive player of the year candidate and potential winner in Ben Simmons on him. That's already a tall task to deal with. A 6'11 guy with the strength and mobility of Ben Simmons just simply shouldn't exist. Like that's that's a player you create in a lab. But then they were consistently sending doubles and traps at Luka and telling Ah, the Mavericks, we're not going to have Luka beat us. If you're going to beat us, it's going to be Josh Richardson. It's going to be Dorian Finney-Smith. And those guys just simply aren't big offensive threats. And obviously that scheme isn't like revolutionary or anything, but it's just more the way they executed it. And then even when Luka gets to the basket off a pick and roll, you have one of the best rim protectors in Joel Embiid standing right there. And that's the thing in any series is that even when you get past uh, that perimeter, which is already hard enough to do when you got uh, a Ben Simmons, Danny Green, and Matisse Thibel out there, you're getting funneled into one of the best rim protectors in the NBA and Joel Embiid, who is just an incredible defender with how strong he is and just how much size he has as well. It's truly, truly a clinic that they put on on a regular basis like it just seems easy for the 76ers to stop some of the best players in the league and while obviously a player like Kevin Durant you're not just going to stop him but when you're putting a Ben Simmons on him you're going to do as good of a job as containing someone like that as you can and Ben Simmons 
not only just talking about defense where he's been phenomenal, he's been playing much better and has been much more aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. This is my thing with Ben Simmons. He's always had the talent. He's an incredibly talented player. He was the first overall pick for a reason. It's just for me always his motor and his lack of aggression at times. But when Ben Simmons is being aggressive like he has been lately, he is unstoppable. It's just like what I was talking about on the defensive side of the ball. A 6'11 guy who is 240 pounds, strong as hell, and can handle the ball like Ben Simmons does, it just shouldn't even be physically possible. And no one should be able to stop a player like that when they're going downhill. So I just love, in a game like against the Utah Jazz, I love when Ben Simmons just fully asserts himself and says, yeah, no one can stop me with the physical tools that I have. So I'm just going to be in takeover mode all game. And the thing about that is that's what that's what opens up Ben Simmons as a playmaker is when he's being aggressive, when he's getting downhill, when he's getting into the teeth of the defense, because then they're forced to collapse and he can kick it outside to all the shooters that they have on this roster. He can kick it out to a Danny Green in the corner, a Seth Curry or uh, Tobias Harris on the wings. And that just opens up Ben Simmons' game so much. And while he hasn't improved as much on the offensive side of the ball as you'd hope, and some people have had that trick them into thinking he hasn't improved as a player, he's improved so much on defense. And his free throw shooting has improved as well. And I just want to see Ben Simmons continue to stay locked in and aggressive because if he does that, no one can stop Ben Simmons. And that just rises this team to a whole nother level. You obviously have to talk about Joel Embiid, who has been uh, the MVP so far this year. Joel Embiid, other than a couple not-so-great games recently, has been incredible so far this season. And this is uh, just like Ben Simmons. We all know how talented Joel Embiid is. My question about Joel Embiid was never his talent. The reason I ranked him at, I think, 13 on my top 50 this year was never because of the talent. It was because of health, and it was because of the injuries that he was dealing with. When he's locked in, we all know how good Joel Embiid is, and he's been locked in this entire season. That's why I think they can compete with anyone because their best player is the healthiest he's ever been and is looking the best he's ever been. He's a guy who, when he's in uh, the best physical shape he can be, which is what he's been this year, how are you supposed to... to stop a seven foot 280 pound player with the footwork of Akeem Olajuwon who has been almost unstoppable from mid-range he's been hitting those mid-ranges at an incredible rate who has been hitting his threes over 40 percent this year and who has great touch at the free throw line as well that is a guy who is impossible to match up against only the best of the best defenders can even contain Joel Embiid when he's locked in only a bam at a bio type of guy can contain Joel Embiid when he's locked in. And even that's difficult because he's a guy who's going to get you in early foul trouble. He's a guy who gets to the free throw line almost 12 times a game and shoots 86% from there. He's getting 10 of his almost 30 points just off free throws alone. And it's not even him just getting points. It's that he's getting the other team in foul trouble. And he's forcing uh, bench players to come in early. And then he just continues to be uh, locked in and continues to dominate those guys. He's been locked in on defense as well. And he's just been playing the highest level basketball of his career. And when you look at a potential matchup against the Brooklyn Nets, 
How would they even guard Joel Embiid? I think the only solution for them is uh, let Joel Embiid beat them and just try to have uh, the other players get clamped up because there's no way to stop Joel Embiid the way he's playing this year. I just hope he can continue to stay healthy because he's been a show. He's been phenomenal, and he's the MVP so far. And I think if he continues to play like this, uh, they could definitely win a championship because this is that superstar caliber basketball that you need to win a championship in this league. You have a good third option in Tobias Harris as well, who's had a career year, honestly. He's been phenomenal for the Philadelphia 76ers this year. He's shooting basically 50-40-90. He has a true shooting percentage of 61%. And it's just been really, really good to see Tobias Harris utilized correctly this year. Because Tobias Harris is a guy who is very talented. He had a good season last year, but I always felt like he was being misutilized because he was being played at the small forward position, which is not the position that Tobias Harris plays. He Now that he's at his natural position of the power forward, it just fits so much better because there's so much more space for the, him to operate. He's a guy who, though him being a good off-ball shooter, and that is his role a lot of the time, he thrives in the mid-range. And now that the spacing of this team is so much better, it gives him room to work in the mid-range and gives him room to uh, go in the area where he works the best in. And that's the thing that is just the biggest difference from uh, this year to last year's 76ers team is their overall fit is so, so much better. And it just allows all the best players on this roster to succeed. They're all being put in the best position. You got to give credit to Doc Rivers for that. And obviously, you got to give all the credit in the world to Daryl Morey for just completely turning around this team, for getting a Seth Curry, who's been great for them this year. Seth Curry is about as perfect as a fit as you can imagine. I mean, he's shooting almost 47% from three. He's literally the perfect fit for this team. Danny Green, as inconsistent as he can be, you can always rely on him on the defensive side of the ball. He's shooting 38.5% from three on six attempts per game at the end of the day, and he's been a good player for them. Another guy who just fits. You don't need big names, and that was the issue with previous 76ers management is they were always worried about big names instead of just getting guys who fit with uh, the roster and fit with their best players. You got to shake Milton off the bench fits perfectly as a guy who just is a nice spark plug is a guy who just gets buckets and that's his only role you got another great defensive wing in a Matisse Thibel who continues to improve and continues to work on his three-point shooting he still needs to get better at that for sure and that's something that would take him the next step to being an elite role player but he's so good on the defensive side of the ball that he's going to get minutes you got a Furkan Korkmaz who is a guy who can shoot the ball very well another guy who just fits with this roster Dwight Howard has been a perfect backup center and that's the thing that in previous years they lacked was a good backup to Joel obviously they had Horford uh, last year but with Horford being as paid as much as he was he was being forced to be a power forward which just isn't his role now you got to white a super solid backup center who fits perfectly uh, behind Joel Embiid as a guy who just runs the floor get gets boards catch lobs and it works perfectly for them but the thing is, with this team, you also have the flexibility to make a trade if you want to continue to improve a ro this roster. You have the flexibility to potentially trade for a guy like Kyle Lowry, who I think would be perfect. You can continue to work on your bench and give you more depth. 
I just think this team is a team that you have to worry about if you're any other contender in the Eastern Conference. You have to watch out for this roster because I think the 76ers are definitely contenders, definitely a team that can win the East, and I've been incredibly impressed by them this year. The 76ers have looked phenomenal so far in the 2021 NBA season. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back to talk about the All-Star Reserves for the 2021 NBA All-Star Game. This was definitely a very, very controversial list. First, starting off with the Eastern Conference, we got Jason Tatum, who is replacing Kevin Durant due to injury in the starting lineup. Jalen Brown, James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic, and DeMontis Sabonis, who is coming in due to injury. And then in the Western Conference, we got Anthony Davis, who will not be playing, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, Zion Williamson, and Devin Booker, who is replacing the injured Anthony Davis. This is definitely a pretty interesting list, and honestly, I'm not mad at it. I'm not nearly as mad as most people were. I think this is a very, very solid list. Uh, the two guys who I thought were the biggest snubs in Sabonis and in Devin Booker both got in, and I think they both deserve it. Devin Booker's had a very solid season so far and is playing for a great Phoenix Suns team, but I do think Chris Paul deserved to be the all-star of that team over him. While his numbers aren't nearly as flashy, I just think he is a more impactful player, and that's not anything against Devin Booker. It's more just praising uh, Donovan, uh, not Donovan Mitchell, more just praising Chris Paul and how good he's been this year. I think this Zion also deserved to be uh, an all-star for sure. He's been incredible this year. He's just been in completely unstoppable. Uh, I think Nikola Vucevic is a guy who I'm not mad if people thought he deserved it over Sabonis. Vucevic has been ridiculous so far this year, basically averaging 24 and 12 on amazing efficiency, carrying a super injured uh, Magic team. I think Ben Simmons deserved to make it, even though his numbers aren't the flashiest. Uh, he's been ridiculous on the defensive side of the ball and is an and has been turning it up on offense as of late. And then I think everyone else isn't super controversial, like Julius Randle is leading a Knicks team and has been great this year. Levine has been incredible. And I think Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, James Harden were all pretty obvious. Uh, Anthony Davis wasn't having a great year before uh, he got injured, but obviously he was going to get the fan love. He was leading a team, well, helping to lead a team, uh, that was doing very, very well. Paul George has been phenomenal this year. The only case you could have against him is that he was injured for a bit, but he wasn't injured for so long that I think he doesn't deserve it. Rudy Gobert is the best player on the best team in the NBA. Damian Lillard is a guy who could have been an all-star starter. Donovan Mitchell is helping with Rudy Gobert lead the Jazz to be as good as they are, and then I already made the arguments for the other guys. Uh, the biggest snubs and people uh, that were uh, mad about Again, Sabonis and Devin Booker are both in. That, those were the two guys I was most surprised didn't make it. But you got guys like a DeMar DeRozan. I think he deserves love, but uh, I just don't think he's having a better season than the other guys. He's had a great season, and the Spurs have been very good. So it is tough to see them not get an all-star. I think they were the only team above 500 to not get an all-star. Uh, but DeRozan's been great uh, this year. I just don't think he's been great enough uh, to be above those guys ahead of him. Mike Conley has been very, very solid. Uh, but as good as the Jazz have been, I don't think they deserve to get three All-Stars. And he hasn't put up like crazy numbers. He's just put up solid numbers. You got De'Aaron Fox, who I definitely think is a snub. Uh, but at the end of the day, the other guys are playing uh, better or just as good as basketball as him and are on better teams. So that 
is uh, just why he didn't make it as unfortunate as it is and as great of a season as he's had. Uh, then you got Brandon Ingram, who I think uh, was fighting with Zion to be the all-star. Uh, both of them just couldn't be all-stars. That's just not how it was going to work at the end of the day. That team is not good enough, and those guys aren't playing like ridiculously enough to both be all-stars. Like You could say it with the Celtics, but the Celtics have been better than them, even if it's not super significant, and those guys have been playing such amazing basketball that they just deserve to make it. Uh, if Zion was going to make it, Brandon Ingram wasn't, and if Ingram wasn't, Zion uh, wasn't. But both of them have been playing great this year. I just think Zion has been the best player on that roster. Uh, and this is the one that has surprised the most people and made the most people mad, and it is Trey Young. And Trey Young is obviously a great basketball player. He's had a great season so far. But uh, I think the reason why he didn't make it is, first of all, his inconsistencies. He has not been consistent throughout the year. The Hawks have been very disappointing. And a lot of coaches, and the coaches are the guys who picked the bench, aren't a fan of the way that Trey Young plays. And I know that's bias. I know that shouldn't be a part of it. But at the end of the day, a lot of those coaches do not like the way he plays basketball. They don't like the foul baiting. Uh, and that's something that has become a big part of his game this year. And honestly, I just think a lot of these other guys are playing better basketball than him, simply. First of all, you have to understand the positional uh, thing. Like, obviously, he uh, can't uh, replace a forward unless that forward was a wild card. And, like, a guy like Ben Simmons isn't putting up as good as numbers as him. But Ben Simmons is a better basketball player than Trey Young. He's on a team that is exceeding expectations. He's a defensive player of the year candidate, an all-around player who can do literally everything but shoot. At an elite level, Julius Randle is leading a Knicks team that has been surprising. Zach Levine, his team is better, and he's played better this year. Uh, and then, like, Vucevic has been great. Sabonis has been great. I just think at the end of the day, a lot of people are playing better basketball than Trey Young. He's been great this year, uh, but the coaches don't like him. And uh, I just think with how disappointing the Hawks have been, they've easily been one of the more disappointing teams in the league. Uh, I think it makes sense for him not to make it, especially with all struggles on the defensive side of the ball, uh, which are a big reason to the Hawks having some struggles. Uh, it's far from the only reason. And uh, when we're talking about the Hawks, it's far down the list of reasons, but it's definitely a reason for why they've struggled is how bad he is on defense. Uh, and I just think, again, other people are playing better basketball. Their teams are winning more. And a lot of people are winning with uh, less talent than Trey Young has. So I'm not surprised that he didn't make the All-Star game, to be honest. Because a lot of people are pointing out that he was the starter last year. That's the fan voting. Uh, uh, that's not the coaches. Because he may have not even made the team if it was a coach's decision last year. But the fans uh, decided for him to be the starter. And now he's not a starter this year, and he's not even a reserve, and I'm honestly not too surprised. Bam Adebayo uh, has had a great year, but I just think Sabonis and Vucevic have been a bit better than uh, him, and so Vucevic has been playing, I'd say, pretty significantly better basketball than him with a worse team, and then Sabonis has been playing uh, somewhat better basketball than him with a team that is around the same range, so I'm not surprised he didn't make it. You got Chris Middleton. Uh, he's just not a super exciting player, and I think a lot of people are just uh, being better than him this year. Like The Bucks haven't been super dominant, so I'm not surprised uh, he didn't make it, to be honest. Gordon Hayward has been very good, but hasn't been like insane 
and I just think other people have been better than uh, him this year. He slowed down from his beginning of the season. Like, if he was still averaging 24, then, yeah, he deserved to make it, but he's only averaging, like, 21 and a half now. Tobias Harris, uh, it's just another case where I think that team isn't good enough to have three All-Stars, and I think Ben Simmons sh- deserves to be the second All-Star. Fred Van Vliet, uh, the Raptors have been pretty good this year. Uh, they haven't been like amazing, and obviously they had the slow start, but they've started to turn it up and have started to play better, and he's had a very good year. Uh, I just think at the end of the day, he's not playing high enough uh, caliber basketball, and no one is on that team to have an all-star. Like uh, Pascal Siakam's had a good year as well. I just don't think either of those guys are good enough. They're both just really solid, and they kind of cancel each other out with how good they are. And then you got a guy like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who I think definitely deserves some love and some recognition. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, other people have been better this year. Their teams are better, and that's obviously not his fault. Like, Shea's had a great year so far, uh, but I think he's in a very similar camp to, to De'Aaron Fox where it's like you're not putting him over Devin Booker, Chris Paul, Donovan Mitchell, Dame. Like, that's just simply not happening. Uh, so honestly, I'm not mad at this list, especially now that we have the injuries and Sabonis and Devin Booker are coming in. I think this is a very, very solid list, and I think the NBA did a good job. That has been the episode of the Under Pressure Podcast. It's been Michael. Peace out.